One of my favorite statements of Jesus in a prayer I often pray for this church is in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe that's true? Now, Jesus doesn't say, for those who are weary, I'm going to come all the way to you. Now, there are other places in the Bible that talk about the abiding presence of God where I think there is a reality in that. But in Matthew 11, Jesus says, for those who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. I don't think Jesus is saying he's on the other side of a mountain, so you need to get over the mountain and through your chaos and trouble in life to get to where Jesus is or go through the valley to find where he is. I think it's Jesus' way of saying, hey, no matter where you are in life, will you just step to Jesus? Like just take a step, just move to Jesus and let Jesus calm your soul and be the presence you need and the strength in your weakness. We're in part three of four weeks of a series I've called Pulse, just gauging our spiritual health. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know, you need to know. For 17 years, I drove a 1995 Ford Ranger pickup truck. I loved her, she loved me, all right? <laughs> and around year 12 or 13, the gas gauge broke on my truck, which meant for about a year, I just had to keep track of mileage in my head or write it down. And then every 150 to 200 miles, I would just go fill up the truck. I didn't know how much was in there. I would just fill it up. You know, I never ran out of gas the closest I got is I was driving from Houston to Dallas, and I got to the south part of Dallas where you start bumping into some of the suburbs of southern Dallas, and, and I, I felt the truck starting to sputter. It was running out of gas, and I was able to exit and just cruise into a gas station where I was able to fill her up with gas. And I wonder how many of you would say, like, that the gauge in your life is, is broken. It's like you don't even know what it is anymore. Like you don't know if you're on quarter tank or half tank or three quarters tank. And sometimes we don't know until we're on empty. And then we're having to like backtrack to see how do we allow this to happen. Yet God has provided ways for us to check our pulse. To even just sit with God sometimes. It's like, God, how, how are we? Now some of you are in this room today and you have never been in a better place with God in your entire life. There is fire in your bones there's a love for truth, there's a hunger for God, and it's never been better. And my question to you and my urge, my challenge to you is like, what are you doing to sustain that health so that you make sure you don't hit a stagnant place and there, you, you don't slowly begin to drift away from that fire? And then there's some of you who are, I mean, you're weary, you're tired, you're frustrated, there's brokenness. And for you, are you, are you willing to make some changes in your life to, to have this to gauge your pulse, to check how you are and who you are with God so you can live into a healthier place. I want to walk you through Luke 6. It's a form of a sermon I've probably preached five times in 12 years here. A lot of times when I travel to speak, people say, hey, Josh, I want you to come work with our staff, our leadership, our ministers, and I want you to work through that rhythm thing you do. And, and it comes from Luke 6. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 6. And I want to walk you through this, hopefully in a new way. Uh, but in Luke 6, verse 12, it begins with Jesus spending a night in prayer with God. It's what Henry Nouwen calls solitude. It's, it's a connection to God. Like, what is it in your life where you are connecting with God through prayer, through worship, through uh, just somehow connecting to the heart of God through fasting? Luke 6, 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the whole night with God. This isn't the only time Jesus does this in his ministry. He often does this. So even though Jesus was fully God and fully human, there was a desire in Jesus' life, a recognition that he needs to say no to some things to get alone with God. And this isn't the only time he does it. 
He comes down from the mountain having spent the entire night with God. And in verse 13, he calls together a community. He calls them apostles. Now in verse 14, 15, 16, he gives you the the names of those 12. They're the apostles. And for the next three chapters, up until chapter 9, he doesn't ask them to do anything. But they are in almost every story he tells. Uh, they're there to watch Jesus, to study from Jesus. And when, when you think about community, I don't want you to think about a community we serve. I want you to think about meaningful relationships in your life. What is your support system? The support group, the people in your life who are sometimes the voice of God for you when you're struggling to hear the voice of God on your own. And then straight from that, Jesus goes into a series, a quite long place in Luke 6, and it goes even into verse seven, chapter 7 of ministry. And so you can call this ministry, compassion, service, justice. Where what you read here is that Jesus goes down with them. They stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. A great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. And I highlighted a few words. They had come to hear him. They had come to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him. And if you go to the next slide. And and looking at his disciples, he said, and this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. So Jesus begins to drive out demons. He's healing diseases. He's teaching. And this becomes the rhythm in Jesus' life throughout the rest of his ministry. That there's solitude and a commitment to God. There are meaningful relationships in his life. There's ministry that is flowing from him. Now if you go to the next slide, I want you to see this. Because this is how you need to read Luke and Acts. So Luke and Acts is part one and part two of a book. Luke writes both of them. And what you see is that what Jesus did, the apostles did, the church did. That the rhythm Jesus models... Is a rhythm the apostles embrace in their own life, and the church takes this on as well. Let me show you. In Luke 6, verse 12, Jesus spends a whole night with God, but you're told in chapter 5, verse 16, this is something Jesus would often do. When you open the book of Acts, the longest prayer in the book of Acts is in chapter 4, but you're told throughout all of Acts that the church is coming together to pray. This is a regular rhythm and discipline in the life of the church in the book of Acts. They're not just acting and doing things. They're coming together to call upon the name of the Lord. There is this solitude, this commitment to the heart of God. You see it in Acts 2.42 when they devote themselves to four different things, one of them being prayer. You see it as the church comes together in community and meaningful relationships that often Jesus in Luke 9, he's calling the apostles to come away from a crowd to be alone with him. At the night before Jesus was betrayed in the garden, he's calls three of the 12 to come even closer to him. There are meaningful relationships in Jesus's life, times when Jesus needed friends and relationships. And you see this throughout the entire book of Acts. Where in Acts 2, they devote themselves to each other. In Acts 4, what you read is all of them, they, they were of one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions. They're taking care of each other. They're, they're together. And then I, don't even, I didn't even have time to put all the verses throughout Luke and Acts where there's ministry happening. Where Jesus is touching and healing people with leprosy. He's healing social diseases, physical diseases. There's teaching taking place. Now... In your own life, and and I lead our staff through a similar conversation every year. We did this two weeks ago, where I asked them, of these three right now in your life, which one comes the easiest, which is the most difficult? Which is your greatest strength, which needs to be a growth area? And as you look at these three, I don't want you to think 
that the rhythm Jesus models in Luke 6, that a third of your life needs to be in solitude and a third of your life needs to be in meaningful relationships because all, all the introverts in the room are like, I would never do that. And then a third of your life in ministry. That's, that's not how I want you to think of this. And I don't want you to think about this as a trajectory, like it always begins in solitude and from solitude to meaningful relationships and meaningful relationships to ministry. Sometimes it's, it's community that would lead Jesus to solitude or ministry that would lead him to solitude. But there's this rhythm that we see in Jesus. This isn't just to be studied or looked at, but the rhythm that worked for Jesus is the rhythm that Jesus wants for you too. Now, here's the thing with rhythm. Some of you don't have any of it. <laughs> I've seen some of you try to dance at weddings, and you don't have any of it. Even the movie Hitch, where you're supposed to live at 90 degrees, like you, you can't do that, all right? <laughs> now, when the praise team earlier was singing Days of Elijah, I could see over half the praise team where they were like, they were ready to go. I, I think Tim Hacker even hit one of these, all right? Um, <clears throat> some of you don't have any of it. Now, some of it, even when it comes to clapping, like <laughs> some of you grew up in churches where it was a sin to clap. And let me tell you how this happened. It's not that the Bible says anything about clapping being a sin. It's that you grew up in a church where clapping was so bad, it left other people to think, that has to be the sound of hell. And if we keep doing that, we're going to go to hell too. <laughs> um, but there is this, this rhythm that Jesus invites us into. That you, you see throughout the book of Luke, you see throughout the book of Acts, it's a rhythm that keeps us connected to the heart of God. So for you, the question today isn't to look up here and say, which one of those do I like the most? The question needs to be, how do each one of those connect me to God, strengthen my life, make me healthier? And as I call you into like a rhythm that Jesus would have a rhythm, uh, I don't want you to think of this as, in some ways you think about this as sometimes it's like a probiotic that it keeps you healthy. And for some of you, you need to think about this as like an antibiotic, that you're not so healthy right now, but it's a rhythm that you need to help get you healthy. Um, let me hold this up real quick. This, this is a Rubik's Cube. And some of you, uh, you would have no shot trying to put this together. But I wonder how many of you... Um, would see something like this, and you may think, yeah, come on up, Aiden. You may think, maybe that kind of describes my life right now. That what happens with unhealthy rhythm, if you don't even gauge rhythm or think about solitude, community, and ministry, sometimes your life can just feel like chaos and a mess, and, and it's just you can't really make sense. Sin does this to us. So we get caught up in sin, and sometimes we don't know left from right or up from down. But sometimes it's just our spiritual growth is just stunted because we don't take seriously our risk and our, our, our rhythm. And, and some of you may look at this and you're like, man, I have read every book on parenting possible, but that Rubik's Cube looks a lot more like my parenting style right now. Some of you may look at this as teachers and you're like, that's what I feel like in March or April of the school year. And some of you are saying, that's what I feel right now in the school year. Um. <clears throat> Play with that for a minute, man. Now, I've learned something in my life that if I want to exercise for 45 minutes, I usually have to carve out about an hour and 15 minutes of time. And the reason is, is that the older I get, the more I realize my body 
doesn't work the same way it did in my teens or my early 20s. When I could wake up and stretch for 30 seconds and go. One of my good friends, Rick Ashley, he, uh, he jokes that he's in his early 60s now. And Rick jokes that in his 20s, he could play basketball all night and he would not get sore the next day. In his 30s, he would play basketball all night and the next day he would be sore. In his 40s, he would just wake up sore and he didn't even play anything the night before. <laughs> and in his 50s, <laughs> he wakes up and he pulls muscles in his sleep and he didn't even do anything, all right? And he's like, what are my 60s? What's gonna happen in my 60s? I've learned in my life when it comes to working out that right now I have to give about 15 to 20 minutes to a warm-up where I stretch and I allow my, 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 my blood vessels to dilate, to get oxygen flowing that prepares me for a workout. And I've learned that I also have to have a cool down. That some people go to a gym, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they jump off an elliptical or a treadmill after running for a long time and they pass out or they get lightheaded because they don't allow themselves to honor that cool down that comes up on the screen. Did you already do that? <laughs> <clears throat> now, follow me here for just a moment. I'm not suggesting today that for those of you who would say right now in your life you're in a place of weariness or frustration, that you honor these, and within a minute and a half like Hayden did, that God's going to do this for your life. I do want to talk just for a moment for those of you who don't have any form of like warm-up or cool-down in your life, especially a cool-down, what happens is you go through life and there's the job and then you come home from the job and there's the stress of trying to get food on the table and working with the family and you're running and you're running and you're running and what you think is solitude will come when I get my next vacation. Solitude will come when Christmas break hits. Yet that's not how spiritual life and spiritual growth is meant to work. So what happens is we go through life and there's no cool down. There's no thought about rhythm or process. So this is what ends up happening. And then, <laughs> and I sit with people quite a bit. And some of you, you know this. I've never known someone who has lost their faith overnight. It's like a gradual process of pulling away from God. I know people who will say things like, over the last eight years, I slowly became somebody I never wanted to become. I just slowly allowed certain emotions to come into my life to turn me into somebody I never wanted to become. And here's the thing too, when we don't have healthy rhythm and we go into survival mode in our lives, we begin trying to control everything because nothing's in control. Yet... Dude, I, I would not have a shot in making this happen. And there's this rhythm God calls us into of checking our heart, staying connected to other people, a life of ministry and justice and compassion that keeps us connected and rooted to the things closest to us. <laughs> you Thanks, man. You're good. <clears throat> Let me say again. I'm not suggesting today that you honor rhythm and God's going to do this in your life immediately. What I do want to suggest is that healthy rhythm in your life 
of honoring how God's connecting you to his heart and to relationships and to ministry. Gives you clear purpose and perspective in life, even through your mess and tragedies and, and, and misery. That it gives you strength in your weakness. That God reveals himself as the one who is giving and injecting eternal hope, even in the midst of temporary confusion. That some way of the ways people have encouraged me to think about this is like, this behind me is like a three-legged stool. And some of you have been to restaurants with a three-legged or even a four-legged stool where one leg is off, right? And drinks are almost spilling. And you try to stick napkins under a leg just so it can balance correctly. And and you know what happens if a leg breaks. It just doesn't work right. So I don't want you looking up here thinking, I I like that one. I'm a person who's wired for solitude. So that's the one I'm going to focus on. And this week, it may be what you need to focus on. But over a long period of your life, over 2019, if, if all you do is spend time in solitude, you're missing out on how God wants to connect with you in other ways. If all you want to do is connect to God through ministry and service and compassion and justice because there's so much to be done, but you don't have a life that's connecting to God in solitude, this right here is going to last you 18 months, maybe three years, and then you're going to burn out because you're going to have nothing else to give. And sometimes what happens too is we begin thinking about the church and we say, well, the church needs to be about that. Connecting people to God, prayer and fasting and worship and connecting to God's heart and your relationship with God. And then other people will say, no, the church is supposed to be about community and relationships where we can share life together. And others are like, no, the church is about ministry and justice and compassion and being God's people in the world. When this all is what it means to be the church, devoted to the heart of God, devoted to each other, living for the sake of a greater mission than ourselves. And this is the rhythm that keeps us in the rhythm of Jesus. So I sense in my own life, this is often the discipline I'll do. I'll sit back and I'm like, okay, God, how are we doing in these areas? What are you calling me into? What am I missing out on? And I can hear the voice of God saying things like, Josh, I want your time. It's a little bit more of you. Often encourage people when it comes to solitude, develop a prayer life where a phone's not in the room with you. Know that one of the greatest challenges of solitude is keep coming back to that place even when you feel like nothing is happening. I feel like God's calling me, hey, don't forget about your support system. Even if there's loneliness or struggling to engage, and for some of you what's so hard about this one is you've been rejected and betrayed in your life, and it's hard to give community a shot when those things have a shot again if those things have happened. And sometimes I sense God just reminding me, reminding me and reminding me to remind the church that God is connecting us to God's heart and to the church while inviting us to partner with God and how God wants to unleash his light and restoration all over the world. So the staff and I and a few others went to a conference a few weeks ago and there was a lady talking and she was talking about the difference between diversity and inclusion. And she was doing this, talking about a workplace and she was making a point about ethnicity and diverse in, in workplaces, but what she said was there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. That diversity is getting people into the same organization or diversity is getting people into the same room. Inclusion is inviting people to the dance. Diversity is getting people into the party. 
Inclusion is inviting people to dance once they are there. The purpose of what Jesus has accomplished for you and for the church is not just to get you into heaven for eternity. It's to get you to a point where you surrender your life to Jesus and then to invite you into this rhythm and this dance where we are living all of our lives for the glory of God, for the sake of the world and the covenant Jesus invites us into. I want to invite our prayer leaders and elders to go throughout the room to receive people. And you're going to hear me talk about this more in the future. I, I hope that as a church, we continue to live into the heart of God in a way where what happens right now in this moment becomes a, a moment of anticipation. That the end of the sermon isn't when we start packing up our things as we're getting to lunch and getting to a football game and other things that happen on Sundays. But at the end of the sermon is the moment where as a church we commit and we confess and we devote and we remind ourselves what we are here for and what we do. And we, we sing these songs, but as we sing them, we're praying for one another and that these become places where we can go and we can say, right now in my life, solitude doesn't exist. Will you pray for me? Right now in my life, there's been so much betrayal. Community is so hard for me. Or in my life, I've been let down. I've been burnt so many times when I've tried to help people. It's hard for me to continue to want to do ministry and justice. But that these become places where we lay those requests, asking for a blessing of God so that we can leave this place as people who are reminded that we are on a mission. So if you need any of these areas for prayer, devotion, and blessing today, will you take advantage of them? And if there's something you want to bring in front of this church, we have elders up here in the front to receive you. Let's stand together.